Hello everyone, welcome to Beyond the Adventure, a podcast exploring why people took on their own unique journeys and what they learned from their experiences. My name is Gareth Brown and thanks for listening. Today I have Sarah Bukis join me on the podcast. Sarah is an experienced cyclist with a passion for bikepacking. With over 10 years of cycling experience, she has embarked on numerous cycling adventures, including exploring Kyrgyzstan and the Himalayas. During the episode, Sarah discussed her journey into cycling, which started with indoor cycling, before venturing into more off-road and bikepacking. She shared her experiences with group dynamics, particularly around the role of creating safe and supportive spaces within female cycling groups. And she spoke about her role in founding a women's cycling group here in Bern, Switzerland aiming to provide an inclusive environment for female cyclists to connect and share their passion for cycling. And finally, we talked about Sarah's various past and future cycling adventures. Hey Sarah, uh, we're live. Thanks very much for joining me. Uh, how are you? Good, thank you. <laughs> a little yeah, tired. Th- <laughs> a little tired. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is that from work or from biking? Oh, both maybe. And being sick, the last two oh. months haven't really been like I wanted it to, so I've been sick on and off, which is really a shame because um, I'm joining Dead Ends and Dolce this weekend, which is like some kind of bike race event, something where you get to uh, eat a lot of cake. That's why the yeah. Dolce is in it. <laughs> Uh, but you have to do some bicycle riding as well. And I wanted to be prepared really well. And yeah, being sick doesn't really help. But it'll be fun, I think. This is really cool. So this is the one that's in Italy, right? Because I've, well, I've, I've been is it in Italy or somewhere else. It's in Ticino. Yeah. It's an Italian-speaking uh, Yeah. It's yeah. the first edition of, actually, Dominique Bockstaller. He started with Dead Ends and Cake uh, three years ago. And this is more in the... Eastern part of Switzerland, it starts and ends in Zagalen. Exactly. And now he's doing an Italian version of it, I'd say, <laughs> with some friends. And that one is in the Ticino. Ah, oh, wow. Did you get a chance to participate in one of the previous Dead End Meets Cake? I did, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I participated in the first edition as a duo together with my husband, although we had said before that we'd never do a race together. Um, oh, wow. We did and we survived. And um, the second edition was last June and I did it solo. He did it solo, so we kind of raced against each other. <laughs> wow. How was that as an experience? Well, actually... We're both not the racing kind of, of cyclists. Yeah. So we really went for the event. But at one point we met on the course and he was like realizing that I had already done three checkpoints and he had only been to two checkpoints. Oh. He was like, what? You've won more than me? Okay, <laughs> I've got a race. <laughs> and he really started <laughs> racing and of course he beat me. <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow yeah yeah i've been following that race it looks super super fun like yeah the way it is they, really, really I, cool. I like the concept it's really yeah. nice i really like yeah. the concept of having those dead ends where you go up and down yeah you get to meet all the people at least twice or three times and that's really really nice it's a big party 
Yeah, it seems that way. I would love to. Uh, maybe this time next year, I can I can see if I can get along, even if it's just yeah, getting to one could. of the dead ends and just experience it. You it, it it seems like the perfect hybrid between like as you, what what we'll talk about soon, which is a lot about the kind of like bikepacking culture, but then at the same time, like a race format which isn't taken too seriously. It exactly. Seems like, it seems like and, more and more of these are popping up. It seems really, yeah. really cool, actually, the and way this I is evolving. I think it's, it's like this kind of event where the, I think the people are more in the center than the race itself or mm. being together and experiencing something together, pushing your own limits, but together. Um, and that's what I really like because normally I wouldn't sign up to races or, or things that are really competitive. But if it has this background, then I really like to be there and, and meet people again or meet new people, which is really, really cool. Yeah, I, th- I, can, I can imagine the community around those things just being, just being super awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe we go back a few steps. Um, yeah, sure. Almost your entry point into cycling. It sounds, from what I read, it sounds like you started out as a bit of a roadie is what I think I read and then introduced your now husband to uh to cycling and then over time kind of transitioned maybe away from the road and more into bikepacking gravel biking but yeah can you almost give us a bit of that background story of of where does cycling come from almost what it means to you um and the kind of what your yeah how you transitioned into these different disciplines well um I did start as a roadie um, or with road cycling. And I think it was a friend of mine who kind of introduced me to that kind of sport. Um, I think I was, it was during high school. And I was like this this chubby teenager, <laughs> not really sporty. Um, yeah, I had a lot of friends who did a lot of sports and I always envied them. And was like, oh, no, I'll never be like them. It's just not my kind of thing. Um, But what I'd always had done is um, ride my bicycle. My parents never rode me anywhere by car. Um, I didn't have, like, I just had my bicycle. That's it. Uh, If I wanted to take the bus or trains, I had to pay it by myself. So basically, I rode to school every day, no matter what weather we had. And I really liked cycling. Um, and then I started to go to indoor cycling classes, to spinning classes. Oh, cool. <laughs> in Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And uh, the, the mixture of having the music and moving to the beat of music, that really, I really, really like that. And then um, one of my friends started with road cycling, like really with a carbon bike and helmet and glasses and those clicked in pedals and stuff. <laughs> and, uh, and at one point I was like, maybe that could be a sport for me. And uh, so slowly I began to cycle more and get a road bike myself. Yeah. And I mean, I started with, with loops of 40 kilometers. I was super proud to do these. Um, at that time yeah. I lived in Beale. So going around the lake was like Perfect. a normal thing. Yeah. And then I met my husband and he was more into snowboarding. So um, yeah. I'm not into cycling as well, uh, as at all, and um, I think it was kind of the deal that I started with snowboarding and he would start with cycling, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> and yeah, that's how it started, and it went off, and yeah, 
distances began to be longer, bikes more professional. We started to go on holidays, bikepacking holidays, but really on road bikes. Um, yeah, we were traveling on road bikes through Europe, through Thailand with our bikepacking bags that didn't even really exist. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and at one point he um, went to the US and did a tour of about three months with a touring bike and with panniers and like yeah. good old way how you tour. And he came back and he was like, hey, we really have to do that together. Um, I know you don't like sleeping in the tent, but maybe you can get used to it. And <laughs> yeah, that's how we got into bikepacking. And then later on into gravel cycling, because we realized that there's so much more to explore off the roads. And it's really nice to, to, to have big fat tires and gears to really go into the mountains and be where nobody else is. Yeah, that's very cool. Very cool. In those early days, um, especially as you were like progressing through the extra kilometers and, and I guess this feeling of wanting to be part of a sport like your friends, was it mostly still just you just doing that individually or were you part of a club? Like how did you start to, I guess, did you have any kind of community around what you were doing at that time? Because now it feels like from the outside looking in that the community aspect of what you do is, is, is amazing. And like, we'll talk about some of the mm -hmm. uh, things that you've got going on now, but yeah, how important was it back then? Or was it more just a sense of freedom that you, that you had when you cycled in the, those early days? No, actually when I started road cycling, um, I was, I was one of the only women doing it. Well, I, sometimes I met some other women, but mostly it was like men that I met when I yeah, was in the world. And if I met women, then it was maybe women who were like semi-professional or professional, but like recreational road cyclists, um, female road cyclists. That wasn't really a big thing back then. And I mean, we're not talking like 50 years ago, <laughs> like 20 years ago. And um, it was weird sometimes because when I was cycling with men, like with my, my friend who, who got me into road cycling, he was so much stronger, obviously. And I would never have somebody who, who would be at the same level I, as I was. Mm. So I cycled a lot by myself or with stronger men, which was okay because it was some kind of training and I got strong as well. Yeah. And I remember the, the first bikepacking trip that I did was in my second road cycling season, I think. And I'd never done a pass before, like an Alpine pass or something. And a friend of mine who worked as a bike messenger back then was super fit he just told me, hey, um, a friend of mine and I are going to cycle from Geneva to Barcelona. Do you want to join us? It'll be really fun. We'll take the flat roads. We'll do approximately 100 kilometers a day. You can eat pizza for breakfast. It's super cool. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I've got three months. I have to get fit because they're both bike messengers. And the second day we were on that trip, we were going up Alpes And the fourth day on that trip, we were going up Mont Ventoux. So it was not really flat. And I didn't... Not exactly flat. Yeah, that's a pretty rough entry point. <laughs> yeah. And I was, I mean, I was so fucked after that week. 
but I really got into cycling like this, which was cool because it was like, boom. And I was into it. Yeah. And, um, so maybe that's why community today is that important to me or to offer a community where beginners can feel safe in it and, and learn from others as well. Yeah. Um, because I didn't really have it. Um, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Plus, it's, um... my experience is that road cycling is so much more competitive than gravel biking. But some people say, well, gravel cycling is transitioning into road cycling. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I think um, maybe it's, it splits into a couple of different factions of, yeah, there will be always the people that are looking to push the limits and there becomes a, com- a really, really competitive and big scene. But yeah. it seems like gravel probably still has the potential to, to retain that level of like community, especially because of how you do cycle gravel and there is more like points where you would come together as a group and chat and like whatever else that comes along with that. Yeah. That's really interesting. It's, yeah. it's very different um, in that, uh, especially from a, a gender perspective and things like when I first started cycling, I was also in Switzerland really. I never really cycled before properly until I got to Switzerland and even like I cycled a bit, but, and I did, remember doing my first tour and I ne- didn't know anybody that's ever been on a bike tour before. I just felt like I needed to, do one myself uh-huh. and I didn't know what to do so I like I had a road bike and I was like oh I'll just try and fit pinnies to that because it's a bike <laughs> and then I cycled from like Gdansk to uh to Croatia and honestly after like five days I was like oh my god like I'm in absolute agony my back was killing me and uh and I went into like a I went into like a, a bike shop and I was like I just need to switch bikes here this is awful but I couldn't communicate properly so i just have to stick with my current bike but in the end i really enjoyed it but this i just wish at the beginning i had the confidence to like just meet a group who can kind of just in person talk me through like what this is uh what are the things to look out for um how do you prepare? Yeah, it, yeah. it would have helped a lot. And and hopefully there's more of these communities coming around like the one that you're developing. Yeah, and even like lend each other material because yeah, of course we all live in Switzerland and we have money and, and cycling is still a sport for rich people <laughs> or people with money. But that's what I really like about the, the group that we have, the Gravel Club, is that when somebody is in need of something, we just ask each other and it's like, oh yeah, sure, I have it. If you need it for three days, come over, get it and just take it. That's or, super uh, nice. That's really cool, really. Or, or as well, yeah, what you said, giving advice or asking for advice. Have you uh, checked out this or do you have any uh, recommendations? Things like that, that's really, really nice, yeah. Yeah. Sure. So when you were first preparing for your your first bike packing trips, or I guess did you did, did you go straight in at your first bike packing trip, or like did you do more classical bike touring first? I think you mentioned you're in you tried Thailand and um, yeah. How did you prepare for that first trip? For the Geneva Barcelona trip, that was like my really first big one. First one. And I was riding a road bike. I actually still have that road bike. It's my first road bike that I had, a BMC uh, race machine. (laughs) And I had, I think I just had a backpack with me, like, yeah, luggage-wise. It's really a small cycling backpack. And, of course, it was summer, so we didn't have to take a lot of things with us. And we did, like, credit card touring. So we slept in hotels or, or, like, cheap guest houses, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. 
So we didn't have that much luggage. luggage. Um, yeah, I tried to, to pack as light as possible. And I never really stuck to the rules, to the, like, I always cycled in tank tops, for example. And I, I don't like, I really don't like wearing jerseys <laughs> when it's summer. <laughs> and uh, people always, like, the road cyclists always made fun of yeah. me. Because they were like, oh, you're not a real road cyclist if you're not wearing a jersey and socks until, until like, half of your legs. And I never really did that. So... Yeah, I think I was courageous enough to not stick to the rules, which is a good thing because today nobody sticks to the rules anymore. <laughs> At least cycling. Yeah, I think I think that's also a daunting thing for like this idea of beginners getting into cycling. It's such when you see a group of cyclists on the side of the road, it's so such intimidating. Oh my god, it's awful! Like it's uh, it's scary. It's like oh my really? god, like, yeah. I could I, I don't know I don't know what they've got going on, but clearly like it's um. Yeah, it's a full setup. So therefore, in order for me to enter into this, it's like there's so many steps for me to get there. And in reality, yeah, you you don't need that. You just need totally, that. Yeah. yeah. But it was actually it was really funny. I was talking to this with Iris Slapendel, um, who yeah. has the brand Iris, who does um, cycling clothes for women. And when she first asked me if I'd wear her clothes, I was like, "Hey, look." Two things you know to need about you know you need to know about me is I'm not really the jersey type and I mostly don't wear chamois in my bibs. Do you still want to give me your clothing? <laughs> that's what you're producing? And she's like, oh, I don't care. You just wear what you like, and that's fine for me. So I really like that approach that you can be yourself and wear whatever you want when you're on your bike. And I think that was something that I really did from the beginning. So when I went onto this bikepacking trip from Geneva to Barcelona, I had these two roadies next to me who were sticking to all the rules. And then it was me who was the hippie on the bike. That's how I prepared for it. And um, I went to the gym before leaving for that trip for about two or three months. So I went to spin classes. Um, I had doing that. I had been doing that regularly, so I was okay-ish with riding my bike. Um, but still, it was a huge shock to the system. But um, after recovering from that trip, I was like, okay, I think that's the way I'm going to do all my future holidays, <laughs> to spend my future holidays. So the next one was, um, I think the next one was in Thailand with my husband maybe like eight or nine, nine months later. And we just took our bikes to Thailand and again, our backpacks and did some credit card touring through, I think it was the Isan, which is the Eastern part of Thailand, which was really nice. And that's how we got into traveling and cycling at the same time. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And, yeah. and then in the first few trips, were there any like days or moments in particular that stand out as being either, well, I guess either, oh, why are we doing this? <laughs> Maybe it's a more of a challenging one or more on the other side, like just solidifies that feeling of like, ah, oh, this is exactly what I want to be doing and I what I know I want to do. Because it's such a satisfying feeling for not a lot of people. I think they can go through life and sometimes they don't 
quite get to that point where they're like, this is for me. But sometimes on a trip like these ones across, whether it be the trip from Geneva to Barcelona or in Thailand, there's probably some moments or days where it's like, oh, it just lands perfectly. Like, Did anything stand out for you in those two trips at either end of the spectrum as really solidifying your kind mm. of thinking of, yes, this is great, or Oof, this is a challenge. <laughs> not sure it is for me. Well, I think the, the trip from Geneva to Barcelona really was a challenge, not only physically, but also I didn't really know the two other guys that well. I mean, the, one of them was a complete stranger before going on to the trip, and the other one was a guy that I had seen a couple of times. Um, and going onto this trip with two more or less random guys without my husband, then he was still my fiancé, I think, was kind of strange. But then also not knowing um, how fit they were and what expectations each one of us had, that was quite challenging. And we had quite a lot of discussions and fights as well on that trip because oh, wow. we were just at a different places and yeah we didn't we hadn't really talked about it previously um when does somebody need a break what do we do when we have headwind whatever all those things so that was really challenging and I had quite a lot of moments where I was like what the fuck am I doing here I'm I'm like what have I driven myself into (laughs) really but then there was this one day when we kind of discussed about going up Mont Ventoux. And one of us three had already been there, I think, or read a lot of articles and seen pictures. And so he talked us into going up there as well. And um, we started at around 4.30 or 5 o'clock. And we were wise enough to say or to decide that, like, everybody was going to go up that mountain on its on his or her own pace. And yeah. I was listening to Paul Kalkblender, <laughs> I remember that, going up Mont Ventoux all by myself because the boys were ahead. And the sun was rising and it was so beautiful. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is just it. After all oh, those fights nice. and difficult moments, and I'm still fighting because it's so fucking hard going up that mountain. But it was just, it was magical. So that was one of those moments where I was really like, okay, I think I found my passion. And then on the other hand, I think two days later, we again had a huge fight. And I was calling my husband and was crying on the phone. And I was like, I don't want to leave. Oh, it's so weird and strange. So yeah, I had them both on that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's such an intensity to it all. Like in especially doing a trip like that, like where you you really don't know each other's abilities and levels at that time and what you want out of the trip and everything. Wow. Yeah. To a lot of people that know. could be fairly off yeah, that could be a really off putting experience in many yeah. ways. It's kind of cool that you managed to come out of that and saw a lot of the positives and like how it's it's like, oh it's gonna be great for me, but I've just taken some good learnings fundamentally. Totally, totally, yeah. <laughs> wow. And um, I guess from then on, you started trying different types of trips and spending more of your holidays going on different types of adventures. I think yeah. I read you've been cycling in places like Kyrgyzstan and the Himalayas and <laughs> all sorts of other places. Yeah. What other adventures that kind of stand out? And um, and how do you even go around 
choosing what might be the next thing for you and your husband uh, perhaps mm -hmm. um i think it's i think today um social media play a big part in it um social media but also websites like bikepacking.com yeah or magazines um cycling magazines but also sometimes it's also that we see somebody trap maybe on social media or we hear about it that we see somebody traveling in a really remote part and we're like oh this could be really cool to go there because there's not a lot of people there yet <laughs> so sometimes we're also looking for for um, places that are still very remote um we definitely like deserts more than jungle <laughs> so and we like the mountains so that makes it really easy um to kind of choose places and to to have both being okay with it um when it comes to the routes it's mostly my husband who who builds the routes or who finds really cool nice places where we could cycle or hike a bike um he's really good at doing that and um i don't know yeah he should I, he should be a professional route builder <laughs> 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 yeah i owe him a lot really <laughs> um so mostly he comes up with something and i'm like okay let's do it <laughs> I mean, for the upcoming trip that we're doing, um, we decided to go to Kyrgyzstan again because we really liked it. And so in his free time, he started building a route and looking at, he mostly uses Komoot for it, but of course he yeah. also takes Google Maps and Strava and whatever you find in the internet just to check out different options. And then at one point I saw on our Komoot profile that he had build a route through Kyrgyzstan and yeah, that's what we're going to do. <laughs> so <laughs> it's really a teamwork. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's really cool though. And when you're planning for a trip like Kyrgyzstan, where it is more remote language is going to be difficult. Yeah. Um, what are the extra things that you're like consciously thinking about? Because it's not like a bikepacking trip where even if you went for like a few weeks in Switzerland, like you're always like, proximity to something like especially water and everything what what are the extra precautions and things that you're thinking about what's the extra stuff that you're packing for trips such as that mm, a water filter is really important speaking of water yeah. um we try to have waterproof clothes with us um not only because of the rain or snow that we might encounter but also because of the wind so I like, mm. for example, I like wearing my, my rain trousers <laughs> when it's cold and windy, but not necessarily wet because they keep me warm. So um, that is really important to have like really waterproof clothes with you, especially if you are um, outside for a long time. Um, Andreas, my husband, he's really um, the researching guy who does a lot of researching, for example, um, for our tent. He did a lot of researching which tent we should take with us, um, 
and also, for example, what's kind of stove. So we always take a stove with us so that we can cook for ourselves when we're out in in the wild. <laughs> um, having enough space to carry the water that you might find filter, like um, not only bottles, but also um, water sacks, for example. Yeah. Um, that don't take up too much place. Um, when I travel alone, <laughs> because I've just come back from the Canary Islands, when I travel alone, I always take a pepper spray with me. Do you call them pepper spray in English? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've never used one. I've never been in a situation where I would have to use one, but I just feel safer. It makes me feel safer. Yeah. So, um... That's when I travel alone. We, I think we even had one when we traveled to Kyrgyzstan last time. Not because we were thinking that Kyrgyzstan is, is a really dangerous country, but because we had also heard from other travelers that sometimes you have animals who are very aggressive. And of course, that helps as well. Um, so that's safety-wise. Um what else is really important? Yeah, I think it's really water, shelter, food. And um, yeah, when we go to countries where the medical supplies might not be that good, we always take antibiotics with us as well. Yeah. I think that's it more or less, yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. And um, and after you went that on that first, was the twenty eighteen trip your first kind of big one where you went for a few months and then you kind of cut it a bit a bit shorter? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, how is how do you find the entire process of like almost the the community aspect of of sharing your stories? Because I think you do a really nice job of it, especially on like mm -hmm. social media and your mm -hmm. website and things. And and also you've developed partnerships. It looks like with people like Kamut and others. How do you kind of bring all that together? How do you capture the moments that you can then share later? Or how do you communicate with kind of partners like Iris or, um, or Kamut? Yeah, how does that kind of come together for, for someone like yourself? Um, I think it's, it's a long, pro or in our case, it was a really long process. Um, I think we were never really, we really wanted to, to, ride our bikes and to see the world and to get to know other cultures and countries and just to not do what a lot of people do, um, stay at home, work, have kids, build a house, get a dog, <laughs> things like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so we kind of started with that and um, when we met like in our 20s, um, after half a year, we went backpacking together in Southeast Asia. And even back then, I had a blog on the internet, which for me was more like a diary and also yeah. like a newsroom for, for friends and family, things like that, because it was a three-month trip. And so when we went on our first like long bikepacking trip, um, for me, having an Instagram account or also the website was more of a let's have some memories written down for the future, maybe more for us or for our families and friends. But we didn't really expect like a, 
a huge public and we still don't have a huge public. I mean, we, we're not the kind of people who have like thousands of followers. Um, it's not really a thing that is important to us either. Um, for us, the important thing is like the storytelling to be authentic. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we started with, with Instagram, with our Instagram account and then one follower after the other followed us. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> I guess there are a lot of other people out there who who um, do it maybe more clever than we do. But our main goal was never to get like huge partnerships or anything. Um, because we want to do our own thing and we don't want to play or be somebody else in front of the camera that we're not when the camera is off. So, um, yeah, so the partnerships we have with, with Kamut and the partnership I have with Iris, they just popped up after a long, long time being out there doing our own things and just yeah. having people noticing what we do and, and liking the way we do it. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I really like that uh, organizations like Camus and, and, and obviously Iris are like yeah. really supporting communities and like supporting um, groups and uh, and just like really being involved in like the sports that they're passionate about fundamentally totally. in the outdoors. Yeah. And I guess that kind of is a nice pivot towards um, towards your current group, uh, Gravel, because yeah. it sounds like that came off the back of a uh, of uh, a women's cycling couple of weeks, which was a, I think a commute ran a uh, few weeks, right? And it kind of yeah, made you realize maybe that, maybe there could be an opportunity to do something like this in Bern. Can you maybe just like share a bit around sure. what what it is, where it came from? Uh, do you have like objectives around it? Yeah. Uh, what does the future look like? It's very very cool and it's very inspiring. And I talk well, to my um, fiance about it all the time. So it's yeah, really cool. sure. Uh, well, I, I actually, um, be years before joining the Kamut rally uh, on the route Torino-Nice, um, I joined a small initiative of a women-led group um, from the Netherlands who actually, um, they, they were kind of friends of Marianne Vos and they they wanted to ride to um, Paris where uh, the women, the, the professional women were cycling as well um, at the end of the Tour de France where they had this one stage thing. And that was one of the first times that I cycled in a women's group. And after that experience, um, I was like, okay, it would be so cool to have this in Switzerland as well. And I tried to have a group in Lucerne where we lived then. But back at that time, it didn't really work out that well. So that was kind of my first try to get a, a female community together. And then we went off uh, for our bikepacking trip for the really long touring trip. And um we came home. We didn't really know how, how long we'd stay here. Um, but then I went, I joined this Kamut rally on the Torino-Nice route, which is one of my favorites. And um, yeah, and I had the same experience again. I was 
yeah, amongst women, like really badass women, such cool women who do so many great things. And I came back to Switzerland and at that at that time already we were partnering with Kamut. And I came back and, and with that idea, hey, I want something similar here in Switzerland. It would be so cool to have a group of women that come together for gravel rides, for bikepacking adventures. And I talked to to uh, Isabel from Kumut um, about it. And she was like, hey, cool, we'd support you. If you want to do that, anytime. And that really helped to just yeah. go off and get this thing started. And uh, so I started with like uh, rides in April, yeah, just about a year ago. And I always thought that maybe we'd be a group of four or five women getting together. And if nobody show up, I just go on a ride by myself, which would be okay as well. <laughs> yeah. And slowly it, it, the group was getting bigger and we were able to do events and, and weekenders and overnighters and yeah. And now we're like this really cool community of, of, I think, friends, really. There are so many people awesome. who, who met within the Gravel Club, who go on holidays together, who, who do races together now. And that's really nice to see. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Can you, can you before talk a little bit more about Gravel, can you almost talk me back to that kind of rally week that you had with the with the badass women? Uh, <laughs> what, what was some of the kind of, how how did it feel that kind of community of, of all of you together? And like, what were some of the kind of conversations or moments that you had that really made you think, I just need this back in burn? Like, were there any particular conversations or just days where you thought like, yeah, this is just um, so unique and so, yeah. so wonderful for, for providing confidence to people and, and everything else that goes along with that. It's On our last ride that we had together, we stopped in the middle of, of a forest and we started talking about, how can you pee with your bib shorts on? <laughs> Things like that. And we had one of the one of the ladies started demonstrating her tactics how to do that. <laughs> so that's the thing Amazing. to talk about as well. <laughs> yeah. And it's a relatively like short space of time. I mean, since you went out on those rides by yourself and struggled to kind of find a community to now what looks like a the beginning of a thriving community what do you think some of the like key drivers are around um, growth in in the in, in the in the space especially among women mm -hmm. i think the discussion is another i so much so much more women join the cycling community nowadays um i think because they see other women doing it and not being intimidated by it or being afraid to to not be good enough for it. So that's, I think that really helps. And I think um, social media helps as well. I mean, there's a lot of bad things coming from social media and a lot of pressure coming from social media. But there's also the good sides where you really see, oh, if this girl or if this woman or this lady can do it, then I can do it as well. Or knowing, oh, there's a group that exists where I can go and have a look and, and, and ask and they'll help me. So I think social media really helps to grow those communities, definitely. 
Then also platforms like Kamut um, yeah. or brands like, for example, Iris, who who really want to to have more butts <laughs> on bicycle on bicycles. Um, yeah, I think it's really a different situation than we had fifteen or ten years ago already. Definitely. Wow, that's that's great to hear. Great to hear. Yeah, and then and I, I think it's also, for example, sorry, it's also um, bike shops who really support like groups coming together, um, starting and ending their rides at their shop. There's more support, really, and I think people have come to realize that community is really something important especially i guess after covid where everybody yeah. was was on their own more or less and um i think the benefits of having a community are really something important and people get to know that or or really appreciate it now and that helps as well yeah i can really see that and i think that especially in places like Bern and many many other cities around the world you can see that like even the connection between different bike shops is like more prominent now. It's like everyone's kind of in it together rather than it being, I'm just here for myself for sales or whatever. Like there's a much broader outlook on what does cycling mean to me and my staff and my customers and my broader community, which is, um, which is really nice. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I guess final kind of few questions, but like cycling to you now is next steps. It feels like you're entering into a different phase. Obviously you kind of founded Gravel and, it seems that like I understand you also you might be doing some coaching uh, to some other people a little bit. Um, but yeah, like what else does it kind of look, what does cycling now mean to you as you look forward for the next few years? Is it just to try and take advantage of as many new adventures as possible or continue to go gravel? Like what, what's the kind of different areas of your focus in the next few years? Whew, hard thing to tell. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't really thought about, um, about it like, a lot but that's a good thing i would say it probably means that you're living in the moment which is yeah, also a wonderful totally. a wonderful place to be and, and it's and sometimes it's really overwhelming what happens with gravel because i i would never have thought that that um event organizers like nova heroica or octopus write and tell me hey do you want to do something together we could offer you like conditions for your club and stuff like that and i'm like whoa wow. what the fuck is happening now <laughs> So, um, yeah, sometimes I'm like, wow, what did I start with Gravel Club? What is this? <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's going to be a full-time job in no time. Yeah, I kind of. <laughs> and, um, yeah. So, well, the next big thing is definitely a six- or seven-month trip, bikepacking trip coming up um, that my husband and I will do. Because our last trip that we started in 2019 <clears throat> was ended by COVID. Um, so we had to come back to Switzerland and we still have unfinished business. <laughs> That's for sure. And um, I'm sure, and some women also promised me <laughs> that they would uh, still be working um or they would be organizing rides when I'm not here. And that is really something that I want for Gravel Club. I don't want it to be a one-woman show. I would really like to, to have other women um, being in 
responsible for for rides or for events and stuff and i don't want gravel club to just be because i am <laughs> so um i would really like to be it a community and not like just somebody organizing i mean it always needs somebody who organizes stuff and uh, who has ideas and stuff but if anybody else wants to do rides and and comes up with ideas i'm really i really fancy that and i really like to to give other people the opportunity to just do whatever they want with gravel club as well so oh, that's super nice um awesome. yeah so i guess the ladies will take over and and we'll see what they'll be doing <laughs> with it the next half year um i'm not worried about it at all they'll do a great job and then when i come back in february we'll see i would really like to to have another um weekender we had a women's weekender a three days weekender in the engadine last summer <clears throat> end of summer which was really nice because um we were a group of 20 women who um, did the Marmotsland route, uh, which is a really nice route, not because we scouted it, but because it's really nice in a nice region of Switzerland and you get to see a lot of nice places. And I would really like to have more of these events as well um, next to the rides that we have. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Um, something that I learned from the last three years also with the pandemic is that you can plan things, but you never know if they really will work out. So I think you really have to live in the moment as well. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Amazing. Uh, one final question, if that's okay, and then we can probably wrap it up. Um, I guess just for other people who might want to take on something new or start something afresh, um, and you've kind of done lots of this with starting new initiatives mm. and uh, finding the right balance between what you want to do in your personal life as, as jobs, etc. But what would be that one piece of advice you would give to someone who is kind of thinking, hey, I want to maybe think about starting something new or doing something different to what is my, my norm uh, as it is now? Um, I think it helps a lot when you have somebody who is next to you, um, kind of fighting with you or being with you. And for example, now with Gravel Club, I discuss a lot of things with my husband, although he's not a woman. <laughs> he also contributes with routes that we ride, for example. And that really helps me. And I mean, the women who are in the group, they know about it and they really appreciate it. And... Um, it's not our goal that we don't want to have men within our group helping us at all. I mean, if um, a man shows up to one of our rides, then that's okay. Let it be. Um, if the boyfriend or the husband of one of the women bakes a cake and serves it to us <laughs> while we're riding. That's wonderful, really. Absolutely. That's why we started with the Gravel Plus Friends rides as well, because we just realized it's so cool to have mixed groups as well. We want to have both. And that's really one thing or one piece of advice to really have somebody by your side um, with whom you can discuss about your ideas, who has your back, 
Um, yeah. And even better if you're a small group of two or three people um, who start with an initiative um, because it always helps to have other ideas as well and other points of views. Yeah. Amazing. No, I, re- I think that's really valuable advice and um, yeah, having that trust in somebody uh, to challenge and support each other is, is obviously a key thing that, that, that enables whatever success looks like for you. So lovely hey sarah that was amazing uh thank you so much for chatting with me i really appreciate it and um, (laughs) i hope you're feeling as good as you can be come this weekend uh, (laughs) so otherwise i wish you an amazing trip and i hope that uh come next year when we're both back from our respective trips we can catch up and share some stories sure (laughs) anytime Cool. Well, thanks very much. And uh, yeah, I'll speak to you soon. Yeah. And good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Thank you for listening, everyone. Beyond the Adventure is available on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit zvoi.ch for all the relevant links. That is zvoi spelled Z-V-O-I. If you get a moment, please share with your friends and families. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to come onto the podcast, please email gareth at svoy.ch. Thanks again, everyone. Bye for now.